right, welcome to another episode of Out From The Cube. I'm going to uh, start this off by saying I made a mistake on my last episode. I had a great guest on. Uh, I met this guest uh, right now as we're recording this. It's, it's Friday. I met this gentleman a week ago and just connected with him off the bat. He came on the podcast like Monday or, Monday or Tuesday of last week, uh, this, this past week that we wrapped up. And uh, I, I made this big big proclamation that we were excited. It was our hundredth episode and all that. And then when I released the podcast, it was actually number 99. So it's, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't our hundredth episode, but today is, today is our hundredth episode. We've been doing this a hundred times and over a year. So we're now probably around 13 or so months. And much like last week where I, I met somebody on LinkedIn, I didn't meet uh, Zach Schaefer on LinkedIn, actually. He was suggested to me by somebody I'm close with to meet. And I went down into, I live in St. Louis, Missouri. I went down into the city of St. Louis and met him, had coffee with him and spent about an hour and a half with him. Did not know him at all up to that point. And much like that experience, this experience today is just like that. I met, our guest today is a gentleman named Guy Golan. I'm super fascinated by him and don't even know him. And so I, but I actually really get a, a juice and a vibe and an energy out of some of these conversations because I have, I know, I know what guy does for a living. I don't know the depths and his true passions and things like that. But uh, guy and I reached out to each other on LinkedIn, exchanged a few messages and then uh, set some time up to uh, record an episode and nothing worked out maybe like two or three times because of some increased client work that I've been having. And today we were actually squeezing it in because of all the work that both of us have. But we found time in our schedule on this Friday uh, to record an hour or so and figure out uh, what guy's doing, what he's all about and what his passions are and how we can uh, take some and steal some things from him essentially. So with that guy, I, one, I really appreciate you connecting with me on LinkedIn and I really appreciate, you know, the hour or so that we get to spend together today because I am super fascinated by what you're doing and how you got into it. So welcome to our, welcome to our podcast. Thanks, George. And I appreciate the hundredth episode. One honor. Yeah. <laughs> so Very yeah, cool. Yeah. So we, we, we talked briefly offline and I, I really do enjoy this about the podcast. Um, we, we spun this up. We talked for two or three minutes and we hit record. Um, I did ask you about your podcast. So you, but you, you said this and I, and I caught this subtly. You said this one, which led me to believe that maybe you've done a couple po a couple different podcasts, but how, how many podcasts do you run or do you just run one of them right now? I currently only run one. I host the Married to Busy show okay. on, uh, on my podcast. But yes, I've had many before. It has to do with my previous careers, previous lives. And okay. we can jump into that yeah. in the conversation today. Yeah, so one of the things, a couple things caught me right off the bat with, um, with, with your bio and all, and all this. When I was on your bio, I clicked a couple links and was doing, I, I don't like doing a ton of prep because I want it to be real authentic and organic and trans. I just kind of like that as if you and I just said, hey, let's go grab a cup of coffee. Um, so I didn't do a ton, but I did click on some links. And what the initial thing that caught me was uh, either the title of your podcast or maybe it's kind of the brand of your business, but married to busy. That, that initially caught me and was fascinated and interested in that title, what that means to you, how you came up with it, and how you're building a brand around it. Because that's an interesting title uh, for your podcast or business. Yeah. Well, 
I am an executive life coach and I have a super, super specific niche. You know, uh, life coaches can really help people solve problems, reach goals in many different ways. I specialize in two types of clients. One is the super high achiever, the medical doctor, the leader, the CEO, the investment banker, the lawyer, the professional athlete. So this is a person whose identity is focused on success at work. Mm -hmm. That is one type of client. The other client I specialize in, and just as important, if not more, is the supporting spouse who supports this high achiever. And you know, either male or female is a part of their success, but they also have many, many unique challenges. So that's what I do. Yeah, so you came up with married too busy. Let me, let me ask, this is the first thing that hits me when you say uh, the, the two clientele and the two buckets that you, that you, uh, that you help. The, the people whose identity is wrapped up in their success and craft. That's mm -hmm. interesting to me because and I may not word this correctly or have the right question to it. And I think you'll know what I mean when I ask it. Do you, is that healthy? Is that healthy where you're, where everything is wrapped up in, in an identity of business and success and maybe instead of some other things, because I'm going to say this, I coached college basketball for, oh, for 14 or so years, small college basketball. But my identity was wrapped up in being a coach. It wasn't being maybe the best husband I could have been at the time or, you know, the best, you know, whatever, right? Uh, that, that, but my identity was just too wrapped up in my profession. I'm, and I've always wondered if that's, if that's a, a healthy mindset to have. Well, the answer is it depends, of course, like everything else, right? Um, a lot of people out there have a hunger that's innate. It comes from them, from the house they grew up in or from their uh, childhood experiences, right? So think about a guy like uh, Michael Jordan, right? What was it about Michael Jordan's psychology that was different than most other professional basketball players? I mean, any professional basketball player is an amazing mm. athlete, right? Any, right. I mean, even the, the last guy at the end yep. of the bench who never plays, he was probably a star in his college, right? But Michael Jordan had something about him that he didn't, he wasn't just happy being a star or an all-star. He, he wasn't just happy being a celebrity and making the millions. Mm -hmm. His quest was to achieve greatness, Yeah. right? And that is what drove him, defined him, and got him to where he was, which is one of the absolute best. I would argue one of the best, you know, the best the NBA best. player ever. Right now, is this a, was this, did he pay some prices along the way? Absolutely. Did he... Uh, not give his family, his wife, his close friends, his parents, his circles, the attention they deserve or need, probably sometimes. Mm. But he was on a quest, and that was his quest. That was his journey, right? And that's what led him to success. Now, you see this every day with people who are not as, uh, you know, in the public eye. So next time you go and visit your medical doctor, right? Mm -hmm. All of us go to the doctor once a year, twice a year, depending on the situation. And we're like, oh, what a nice doctor. They probably have such a great, easy life. And what most people don't realize is that the psychology of many doctors is very similar to the psychology of Michael Jordan. Hmm. Because a, a doctor didn't become a doctor at the age of 25 or 30. But rather, his or her journey began around the age of 15 when they were in 
maybe high school, and they knew that they need to get 4.0 and AP classes and organic chemistry and take all the different calculus and trigonometry, all the things that normal people like you and I try to avoid. They knew <laughs> that was their course, right, for success. Right. So they, their focus, their laser focus on success mm. began early in life and they paid prices along the way. While their friends were having fun in high school, they were studying. While their friends in college were in the fraternity house and the sorority house, right. they were studying. While their friends were doing the sex in the city thing after graduation, guess what? They were in medical school, followed by residency and step one, step two, step three, mm. right? And then the board exams and then fellowship. Oh my God, this is a 20 year journey. Yeah. So, wow, the focus on success, putting all of your eggs in one basket. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? It depends. Mm. But there are a lot of people that we meet every day who are driven by that psychology. Yeah. So, so how does, how, how do you end up, let, let me, let me, before I ask this, that question that I'm thinking of, uh, tell us your background. Uh, like how, how did you end up, I, ultimately I want to get to uh, how you ended up creating and finding this niche and only going after specific clientele. That's, that's the question I want to get to. But before we get there, I'm interested in, in how you just kind of got this coaching, life coaching, uh, you know, passion that you have and where, where that came from. Well, it's going to be a two for one, my answer, okay. because my, my journey led me straight to this coaching niche, right? So I have been a university professor for the last 15 years. I even spent a semester at Columbia, Missouri at the end yeah. of my PhD, right? Perfect. So go, go Tigers, right? Yeah. Um, but so I was, I was an academic and I'm, I still am. I've published, I don't know, 40, 50 peer-reviewed journal articles and a couple mm. of books. I was a tenured professor at Syracuse University. Oh, wow. So I had this whole academic life. But 13 years ago, I met a wonderful medical student. Mm -hmm. And there goes your answer. I, okay. My journey with her exposed me to a completely unique and different uh, personality archetype that is very different from my own. Mm -hmm. And along the way, as I supported my wife throughout her career and the many challenges that medicine threw her way, and living in New York City, all of my friends were in either investment banking or law, right? Or mm -hmm. medicine, like all these circles, super high achiever surrounding community i've seen what that psychology and that mindset and that life strategy did to people not only in their personal well-being but also in their interpersonal relationship mm -hmm. so a lot of these high achievers highly successful people end up not succeeding in other areas of life as you can imagine including uh, romantic relationships parenthood mm -hmm. interpersonal relationships you know, it's complicated. So, yeah, that, yeah, that's so, what brought me there. Yeah. So when you say that you, you observe these things, what, what did you see? What, what, what were you able to observe from the friends and uh, the peers and the people that you and your wife ran with that said, man, these like, essentially you said this, these people need help. Like there's a problem here. Like, like this is yeah. a disaster. Like so-and-so is a disaster. They're a disaster. They're a disaster all because they're so driven, which I appreciate. It's that balance, right? It's, 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 you know, and we talked a fair amount in my coaching life about balance because coaches get way out of whack. Um, and I'm just like, I think you painted it perfectly about the medical field in comparison to Michael Jordan, that, that 
people are just so driven and that's their purpose and that's their identity and uh, that they get so out of whack and out of balance. But so at some point you saw this and that's when you developed a niche. But what did you see other other than un, maybe unhealthy relationships? What, what did you see? Well, for the high achiever, that person, that archetype really faces very unique challenges that average per people just don't understand. They don't realize and it, the best way to explain the psychology of a high achiever is through a metaphor of somebody running a, you know, five mile, you know, 5K race. And that finish line always moves five more feet, mm. 10 more feet ahead. So no matter how close they get to the finish line, the finish line will always move and they can never achieve their goal. Mm. For the high achiever, that is extremely frustrating. They try their best, they give it their all, and success is elusive because success is multifaceted. And so um, high achievers suffer from a lot of anxiety often. They suffer, many of them, from depression. They suffer, they know their life is not balanced. They know they're not giving the people around them what they need. They don't know how to manage mm. that ultimate quest for success and real life. Hmm. Uh, so we're talking a lot about success and this is just kind of a random thought that I have in my head. What's success mean to you? Well, you know, me personally, I'm, I'm a very simple man. Any day that I wake up healthy and alive with my family and friends, I'm a successful guy, but I have the luxury, right. Of having a much more balanced approach to life. Right. So this, this is something that developed as a supporting spouse for over a decade because let's talk about the supporting spouse, right? Mm -hmm. So if the high achiever is always trying to reach a goal and that puts a lot of pressure on them and they put all of the resources into the race for success, what does that mean for the people who live with them? Yeah. Well, that means that their needs are often placed as a secondary need. It means that they spend a lot of time at home alone waiting for their husband or wife to come home. It means that they have, may have all the money in the world, but they have nobody to share it with because their partner is not available to them. I, I call it corporate polygamy, George. Mm. They, and this is why it's called married to busy. It's a double play on the word. The, the high achiever is married to their job and the supporting spouse is married to them. Mm. Right? Yeah. So um, this leads to a lot of frustrations, which often manifest in divorce, in thoughts of cheating, in substance abuse, overeating, depression. Man, it ain't easy. You know, people drive around the mm. fancy neighborhoods in each city around the country, right? So if you're in Palm Beach or in the Upper, you know, the upper East Side in Manhattan or in Beverly Hills, wherever you are, right? In all these pockets of wealth, you drive around, you're like, oh my God, these people have these $5 million homes. They must have the best lives ever. And if I had to guess, I would say 30, 50% of the people living in that community are not all that happy. They may have be more comfortable, but they may not necessarily be happy. Mm. So what we used to say in coaching, in athletic coaching, uh, basketball specifically, but probably all, all athletic coaching, that coaches' wives, just on the, you know, the male or the husbands or whatever, coaches' wives, you know, get a free pass into heaven. It's just such a hard role to be in. 
Um, and I coached small college basketball. Uh, the pressure was less. Uh, all, you put pressure on yourself regardless of the level. You want to win and compete and, and, uh, and take care of the kids as best you can. But, um, you know, but we were on the road all the time, you know, out, out the door at 5 a.m., you know, and home at 10 p.m. and doing that for six, eight, 10 months a year, um, then doing camp, like all that. So we used to always say it's just such a hard thing and figuring out that balance um, is so hard. I actually have a, I have a friend uh, that I haven't seen for a while, but a friend here in St. Louis, he started a company in St. Louis. Uh, I believe it's called St. Louis transplants. It's a great, it's a, it's a great little company here in St. Louis. Um, but the idea of it was this, that these companies would spend so much money bringing people to St. Louis for C-suite, C-suite type jobs. And the, the C, the chief operating officer, whomever it would be, right, would be then be on the, out in the community, out at work, out on the road, doing whatever, and would be so far away from the home that the spouse would sit there, and uh, St. Louis, one, is a hard city to get acclimated to. It's a very clicky town. So that now you have a spouse that's sitting at home without their, without their spouse, and is struggling, and is getting mad, and, um, wants to then move back to wherever they came from, right? And so all these companies spend so much money to bring people to St. Louis that end up a year later going back because of the acclimation was so hard. And not that that's a, a it is a parallel to what you're doing because that's where kind of the coaching is it, but it's, it's so hard to, to feel connected, be connected, especially on in new encounters and engagements. But that, that is such a niche, to, to that, that spouse, that family member that is sitting at home that, that is just carrying so much baggage and their hands are up in the air and they don't know what to do that, man, I, I think that's a great deal. I, I think that's a great service that you're giving those people um, that you're able to work with. Thank you. And you are absolutely right. This, this really, this issue is not spoken about often enough yeah. in, the, in the realms of high-end HR. Because I call the spouse strategy, right? So let's say a major multinational corporation identifies talent and they throw, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in all these benefits mm -hmm. at this person who they want to be the chief financial officer, the chief operating officer, the CEO, whatever it is, right? Chief marketing officer. But they don't think about right. what happens once that person gives 150% to the work and how taking that person out of the family unit, right? And, and it's sort of telling the spouse, well, listen, your wife or your husband has a great title and a big career and lots of money, deal with it, right? But what happens is people get uprooted from the networks, like the people they grew up with, the friends from middle school and high school, yeah. right? The friends from college, friends and family. So, you know, we can talk about CEOs, but let's talk about other types of sporting spouses. How about military wives? Mm. Think about all the, all the thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of women, they're also men, military wives who have to move every so yeah. often from one side of the country to maybe another side of the world, right? So one day they're in Montgomery, Alabama, and then they're in Athens, Georgia, and then they're in San Diego, and next thing you know, they're in Yokohama, Japan, if they're in the Navy, or in Germany, wherever they are. So that's where the real point. I mean, if, if you want to ask me, Guy, what is the core, core issue? 
facing supporting spouses, it's not just the fact that their spouses are busy and not available to them. It's not just the lack of attention, whether physical, emotional, right, mental. It is the core issue is identity and the loss of identity, mm. which manifests in terms of leaving a job behind, leaving your close network behind, friends and family, moving around to support your spouse. That is the root of all evil. And that's really what I work with when I work with supporting spouses. I tell them, look, you know, you're not going to change your husband and wife. That's who they are. That's their identity. They're, they're here to win. And you are attracted to them because of that, right? And let's spend a minute on this point. Society, whether it's television, social media, right, Instagram, whatever it is, it presents us with a very clear definition of who we should want to marry right? Mm-hmm. We should want to marry a super successful man or woman. We should want to marry the alpha male or woman, right? We should want to marry somebody who's driven and successful and not just sitting at home and chilling, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what society tells us. So we love that. And, and the high achievers are very charismatic. They're, they're confident, they're capable, they're smart, very attractive. But nobody tells us about the other side of the equation, the other side of the coin, which is always going to be there. You're going to have to make some huge sacrifices, right? So if you're in an early stage of the relationship with a high achiever, maybe a year or two into the dating, you don't have kids yet. I want you to really ask yourself a question. Am I willing to go on this journey? Mm. And if the answer is no, step out of it as soon as possible. And if the answer is yes, you, you have to own that, take responsibility for that, and never, ever, ever tell the high achiever that they have to choose between you and their career. Mm. You have to own the choice and then build and empower life around that choice. That's what it's all about. Mm. I, I heard this phrase uh, maybe a month or so ago, and I really liked it, and I'm interested in your opinion on it. Um, I was listening to Tony Robbins talk about uh, work-life balance. And I think the phrase he said, and I don't know if it's original with him or not, but his comment was, um, essentially he said, you know, forget work-life balance. You should have the mindset of work-life integration, of integrating everything together, right? So I'm wondering if that's a strategy of, of with you and your clients, where it's like, hey, because you made a great point. Don't make them choose between the two. Don't put them in that position where maybe the mindset is, how can these two people that are being separated by a high achiever and the work and the drive and the ambition and somebody that is now staying, staying at home, doesn't have their network, has moved across the country, if not the world, but how can we get these things to be integrated? How can we share this? How can we collaborate and be committed to one another, even if you know it's like somebody coming along with me or me going along with somebody else, you know, there is that, there is that sacrifice to that. I understand that like, Hey, I'm putting that person's gig in front of my own, but at least it's integrated. And I'm wondering, is that a big strategy? Uh, and cause that always stuck with me when Tony Robbins said that I was like, you know what? It's okay to be driven by your profession. It's okay. But you've got to be intelligent about how you integrate other people into it and making sure you do um, as opposed to them just being, want you know they're not they're not mutually exclusive type thing absolutely the answer is yes tony is spot on as always right Right. so 
the secret sauce in any successful marriage is um, mutual collaboration and mutual benefit, right? So if you are married to your job, you're always there, right? And you know that your spouse is not getting what he or she needs, and you know it. I mean, because every, every high achiever knows they're not giving their, their husband and wife what they need, and they feel terrible about it. They just don't know what to do. Mm. The secret sauce to making the marriage work is to empower your spouse, the one that's not working right now or is not working in their field of choice. It's all about empowerment. Why? Because an empowered supporting spouse is not only happy, but they can help you as a high achiever solve many of your problems. Now we're talking about time and balancing. Look, if, you're, if your wife is a you know, gastro, you know, I don't know, surgeon, right, of some sort, right, a neurosurgeon, and she's working 70 hours a week, she's not gonna have, you know, like, she can't go on a two-week cruise with you, Disney cruise, even though you have all the money in the world. What you can do is really focus on success in the time that's available. So during the time that's available, maybe she has got a weekend off, don't spend the weekend explaining to her how bad of a wife and mother she is. <laughs> don't, don't take that time right. to explain to her that she's working too much. She knows she's working too much. Don't explain to her that not sleeping enough is a bad thing. She knows it. She's a doctor, right? Mm -hmm. What you should do is take the time to do wonderful things together that will make you connect to one another, rekindle the friendship between you, give the children the quality time, and ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't take too long. It takes five minutes. Some people take 15 or 20. Don't forget sex and intimacy. Mm. It is so important. I know you're tired. I know you're on the road. I know you're doing consulting right now and you haven't been home in three months. I know everybody else needs your energy. But don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, about the small intimate thing sexuality it is the glue of the marriage so i'm interested in this um I've, I've read your bio i've read where you've gone to school where you've worked um i didn't know about the syracuse uh uh you know being a tenured professor up there all that being said if you look at your bottle of uh you know a box of work you're a very driven person you know, I don't think you you can do what you've done. And I think I listened, I listened to five minutes of a podcast that you may have been on where uh, you grew up abroad or you were born abroad. Is that right? Yeah, I was born and raised in Tel Aviv. Israel. Tel Aviv. Yeah. So you were born and raised in, how long did you spend in Israel? Um, it depends. About, I would say 15 to 20 years of my life, depending on, I, I went back and forth many times. Love that place. So, so. Your, your, your bio and everything I've read about you and the small things that I've listened to, you're a very, I'm just going to blanket state, like you seem to be a very driven person. Uh, but you also made the comment earlier that you, you met your wife and she's a doctor and that you ended up being that spouse that mm -hmm. was, you know, uh, kind of supporting her as she kind of went through her dreams and ambitions. So I'm interested in these two, that paradox, right? I mean, you went from this uber driven person that's accomplishing and getting all these degrees and you have a PhD and you've traveled the world and you grew up in Israel. And I think you went to university of Florida, maybe in the Syracuse, uh, uh Columbia, you said, um, now all of a sudden 
you're supporting somebody else and all your passions, missions, and drives are kind of put on the back burner. So what, what's, that, what's that mindset like and that shift for you where all of a sudden you were the main guy and now you're not? Well, I'll tell you, it takes a really unique individual to be successful in a marriage to a very successful woman. It's not for everybody, right? So let's celebrate the success of women and let's celebrate the fact that we have more women in the House of Representatives now than ever or that every medical school or vet school or now, and now more than ever law school, right? Mm -hmm. Have more women than ever. This is a wonderful thing for society. You know, I come from the Middle East. There are certain parts. Israel is very uh, advanced, but there are many neighboring countries where if you're a woman, you're pretty much not going to go to college. So to be in a place where women are celebrated and successful is a wonderful thing. But that opened the door, right? The, the success of feminism opened the door to a completely new challenge, which is a very interesting role reversal between the genders. And suddenly, and many men like myself, right? So I belong to a Facebook group called uh, Dads Married to Doctors. Awesome group, 4,000 members strong, amazing people. And all these guys are married to women who are making tons of money and are always busy and they're always at work. And, you know, we sit around and we complain, but, but we don't complain. You know, uh, it, it takes a certain, you have to be very confident in yourself. You have to have a very strong sense of who you are, what your values are. And I'll tell you this, it's very simple, George. My wife cannot do anything else in life besides be a doctor. If you take away her medical license tomorrow, she will not, she will never be happy because that's, that's who she is. That's her identity. Hmm. My success in academia, you know, it came around just because I was doing it. I could have been a politician. I could have been a lobbyist. I used to be a lobbyist. I could have been a journalist. And I, I, I would have been happy. So I think that's the key difference between the super high achiever and, you know, so what's the difference between Michael Jordan and, I don't know, B.J. Armstrong who played on this team? B.J. Armstrong was happy to be an NBA player. Like he could have done something else with his life and he would have been okay. Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan could only be happy if he won every single championship. And when he lost, it crushed him. Mm -hmm. That's the difference in the psychology. So what point along your, your career path and meeting your wife and getting married and all that, did you sit back and say, man, like this has to be about her. I like, I've got to step back as, as the goal. Cause I'm guessing, you seem like uh, the type of person, and I could, be, I could read you wrong, that has uh, you know, maybe some, you know, a five-year plan or some things or the next thing you want to accomplish and knock out and I'm working towards, I'm going to wake up passionate about this because it's driving me towards my end goal of that, to all of a sudden waking up one day saying, you know what, I'm going to, I think this, I think I'm going to take a backseat. Was there something that happened? Was there a conversation that happened that where you sat back and said, hey, honey, this is going to be all about you and, and I'll take a step back? Well, I don't think it, it's ever a choice. So if you're married to an investment, <laughs> let's take an investment banker. Okay, we, we spoke so much about doctors, but let's take an, an army wife, somebody who's married to an investment banker, as somebody in the field of, I don't know, high tech maybe in Silicon Valley. Their jobs, you know, in the job requirement, it's a very easy exchange. Right. We're going to give you tons of money and we're going to take away all of your resources, all of your time. You have to give us all of your hours, you know, and there's no flexibility. 
you know, it, so you have no, no it was it was just placed on you. I, her her yeah. just becoming a doctor was just like, hey, this is the way it is, and this is where and, I'm going. Yeah. And yeah, and, and the make her choose, right? right? Yeah. So to your earlier point, I'm not going to make her choose between me and being a doctor. Um, although although there are although there are many many days when you as a supporting spouse feel that way, mm. and you feel so naturally, there's not a single one of us supporting spouse, not a single one of us who didn't think about leaving. Yeah. Who didn't think about cheating? Who didn't think about what the heck happened to my life, right? It's so extreme. It's not yeah. easy. I actually have one client who's married to a professional athlete. Mm. Now think about her. She got to marry the guy you see on TV, yeah. right? right? During NFL, you know, NFL weekends. She got to marry one of those guys. Right, so isn't there a show on TV, The NFL Wives, or something like that? Yep. She got yeah. to be, she got to be one of these people. You know, she saw the good side, the glamour, the celebrity, the money, the access to, to a new world. And now she's sitting at home in a fancy, in a fancy house. You know, yeah. right? It's not exactly what she hoped for. Right. Yeah, you know, she's alone. She's neglected. She feels like it. So all of the. But we're, but we're changing that. Yeah. So I'll, uh, I, I just kind of a general commonality thing with all the people that you work with on the high achiever side. What are just some, some things that, that you've observed that all of them, uh, that they have in common? What do high achievers have in common? I mean, I know we've talked about this internal drive and competitiveness and things. Is there something that, that cause this, you've said a few things that I don't have to listen to the podcast again. Um, but you've said some great things here in, in passing, but just this, this, you know, that they're wired different. You made the comment that most of us, you know, I, and my podcast, I know you, I'm quite certain you haven't listened to it, uh, but there's episodes where we talk about that we're, that I'm in the middle. We're in the middle. Most of us that listen to this, we're in the middle. Like we're not that top 5%. We're just not, and it's okay, right? But it's that drive to say, hey, I'm, I'm trying to get there or I'm trying to improve myself daily, whatever it is, 1% mindset. Um, but that 5%, right, uh, where it's, uh, what are some commonalities? Why are they there? You know, uh, what have you observed that is that is a separator there from the people that play in the middle? They have it worse than we do. The people in the middle think that the ones, the one percent, are the lucky ones, but actually, the person in the middle is the lucky one because the super high achiever, right, is much more focused on a single formula. And what if the formula doesn't work, right? What if everything they put all of their eggs into that one basket, what if that does not bring them the happiness or the peace they're looking for? So I actually argue it's better to be in the middle. I always believed, and, and with my kids, it's much better to be a 3.0 student than a 4.0 student. Right, so maybe with great inflation. Now tell me, three, tell me why, I like that. I, I, I'm not saying I agree with it, <laughs> but you tell, tell me why. Tell me, tell me why you like that. Is that I think it, thought? Uh, you know, it's not for everybody, right? So my daughter, I, she's five almost, and she already has a personality of her mom. It's her DNA. And, she's, and I'm going to push her to be a doctor because that's who she is, right? She's going to have that high-achieving personality. But my son is more like I am, and I think, he'll, I think it's easier to live life in a balanced manner when your sources of happiness and, and peace and content are multiple, right? So if, like if work doesn't work out, you, see you have a network 
No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hang you up right there because I really like that. I really liked what you just said. Your sources of happiness are, are there's more of them, right? So, and, and I know that you're talking about your family, so I don't want to uh, say anything about your family. Uh, that, mm-hmm. but, but what I heard you say was, you know, the source of happiness from your wife, and I know she has probably many other things, but high achievers, let's say that so I don't place it on your wife. High achievers, their source of happiness may be one thing. Like, and that's where their focus is and all that. But the people that play in the middle, like my happiness, my happiness comes from a variety of things. It does come from work and it does come for these conversations in my podcast. It does come from my community. It comes from my children. It comes from my girlfriend, like all that. Right. Uh, so I am, I, I've, uh, I've, I've spread that out over many ways. Right. Um, and, and so I, that's interesting that you say that. Right. I, I really like that. I, I want, I want to give you the metaphor of investing. Right. Right. So it's about diversification. Uh, yeah. Diversification. So if you if you put all of your assets, all of your money into an income property, right, and that income property, you know, gets flooded, you know, there's a hurricane, and there's a recession like we had in 2008, you're crushed. But if you own many types of businesses, right, and I do executive coaching as well, so I mean, I always talk to my clients about diversification. Then you know, if one industry gets hit you're still okay with the others for the high achiever of course they love their family you know they love their kids they get they get they get happiness from that as well the the real difference is the the amount of pressure placed on success as the key drive and the key secret to Mm. that Do you think your wife was just born like that or Jordan was just born like that? Or do you think something happens in their childhood? Do you think there's a coach, a parent, a teacher that drives them from, from the, you know, from the get to get them kind of to that spot? Was there somebody that impacted your wife to, to have her have that mindset of success? I'll tell you, if you really look at the super successful, not the successful, but the super successful, you're going to see that something really interesting in common. I'm going to give you three names and you tell me what they have in common. Okay. All right. President, President Bill Clinton. Okay. Yep. Tony Robbins. Okay. Okay. And probably, you know, I would say one fifth to 40% of professional athletes in the United States. What do they all have in common? I think that yeah, go ahead. What was, ahead. What, was it, what was it about their childhood? Did they have a nice childhood? A good oh, childhood? gotcha. 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 Yeah, I think there was. So and we've talked about that on the podcast. We, we have. And I think that's a great conversation that I wish we had time for. Because it is. It's this. Uh, is, it, is it when we talk about the middle? And we, we've got this 80% in the middle. We've got this 5% here. We've got the 5% of struggle. Right? Is it easier for that guy from 5% struggle to get to the other 5% or is it harder for the guy in the middle? Right. And we've had the conversation that, you know, of fighting out of that, you know, uh, the, the pursuit of happiness guy, right. Of, of mm-hmm. being that guy that is sitting there and, and struggles and from the inner city and doesn't have the resources or the education, but wants more out of life that they're willing to work harder to get to that 5%, not to get to the middle, but to get to elite. Right. And I think is that, that's essentially what I think you're saying. Right. The, all those guys that you just mentioned, those three and, and, and some of those professional athletes came from a life of struggle. 
Absolutely. And if you look at who's doing the most amazing things in the United States, who's winning all of the Rhodes scholarships, who's, who's getting the highest grades in high school, who's going to medical school? Mm. Children of immigrants, mm. first generation immigrants. Those are the most successful people. I think there, there's a great man I need to have you back on just to talk about this. Because is it, is it because, I, listen, I grew up lower middle class Seattle, Washington. Had a nice house, you know, a stepdad, mom, all that. Like, it was great. I have no complaints. But is, but is me be playing in the middle for all of my life, being in the middle, is that because of comfort? Is that because I don't have internal drivers? Is it because I sit back and say, ah, this is good enough? Whereas opposed, if I grew up in the streets of Cleveland, right, and I'm sitting around saying, man, this is, not, this is not good enough, this is not suitable enough, that my drive to get out of there propels me even further than the middle, right? Am I, I'm just, I'm in a place of comfort. Absolutely. It's very simple, George. If you have a steak in the freezer, you're not going to go out in the snow to hunt bear. <laughs> I like it. If you've got a steak in the freezer, I'm not going bear hunting. Fair enough, right? It's, I think that's great, man. I think that's great. So listen, man, I've enjoyed this a lot. Um, I really have. And I, I, I'll tell you what, man, I am, I'm excited uh, about being connected with you on LinkedIn and uh, some of these just, just random uh, encounters that I'm having over the past uh, year with this podcast have just been really uplifting to me. Um, and I hope they have been for everybody that's listening. Um, I, I know I want to honor both of our times. Um, I have a hard stop and I think you do as well. But uh, a question that I, t I ask pretty much of all my guests, and I, I don't have any canned questions at all other than this. Um, so I have read your bio. Uh, I, I will put in the, uh, the show notes how people can reach out to you. Um, but your LinkedIn bio, how is that different five years from now? What changes? What, what additions are, or how does that read in the next five years in 2024? What's your bio say on LinkedIn or wherever, on your website? Yeah, but it's going to say happy guy wherever I am. But, uh, you know, the marriedtobusy.com website is going to look a little different. So will the LinkedIn because I'm going to, I, I'm going to continue doing uh, executive life coaching. That's my passion in life. I love my clients and I love helping them. I hope to do, uh, my, my book is going to come out in the next year where I kind of lay out strategies on how to be a successful uh, supporting spouse and make the marriage work and not That's divorce. That's a great, great idea. Great idea. And then, I, then I'm going to go and start doing uh, corporate talks to medical societies and, you know, financial, you know, organizations. So much more bring it, the spouse strategy into the HR realm. Mm. Man, That's good for you. And, and how can people reach out to you? Uh, what's the best way for people to connect with you that might want to uh, connect with you, have a conversation with you? Yeah, sure. Anytime. So marriedtobusy.com. So marriedtobusy.com, the Married to Busy podcast show, the Married to Busy Facebook group. We're just so busy. Yeah. I'll tell you what, man. I, I, I'm blessed to have – let me ask you this because I was interested in this. Where do, where do you live now? I'm now, so here we go. I left Syracuse University. I moved to Florida for my wife's job and I moved to Texas for my wife's job. Okay. Hopefully we'll be here for the next decade, but who knows? So that's what I, th I thought I read that you are now, correct me if I'm wrong. Are you in Austin, Texas? No, I'm in uh, North Dallas. North Dallas. Okay. For some reason I thought you were in Austin. Okay. So North Dallas. And how long have you been there? Six months. Just six months. 
So you're you're having to deal with it right now. You're in the you're you're in the weeds with it all right now. You're you're the relocating spouse that's supporting her. Now you have your own passions and own interests that you're going with, but your wife is gone working and now you're at home in a brand new community where I'm guessing you don't know a bunch of people. Maybe you do. Um, but that's but you're living it. But you know, George, change is the formula for opportunity and growth, and I embrace mm-hmm. it and I love it, and I am never a victim of my life. I am the driver of my life. And I'm happy to do it. Man, that needs to be like that. We could go on and on about that. I, that's a great, I'll tell you what, man, that's a great perspective, great mindset, great outlook that, that I need to hear and uh, other people need to hear. I think that's, I am not the victim of it. Um, hey, listen, I'll, in the show notes, everybody listening, show notes, uh, marriedtobusy.com. I'll have his LinkedIn uh, URL. I'll have everything else so you can uh, track uh, Guy down. And listen, Guy, I can't thank you enough. Um, again, there's a lot in here. I think this is a podcast you're going to have to listen to again and just get your notebook out like I'm going to do. Uh, there's some great things in there that you can implement into your life, even if you're not in either one of those camps. Like I'm not. I'm not, a, I'm not at that 5% and I'm not supporting anybody that is, right? But there's a lot that you gave me today that I can try to implement or, and consider into my life. Uh, and I really appreciate your time, Guy. That was great. Uh, George, I appreciate you and I appreciate everything we've done today and i want to congratulate you on 100 episodes of your podcast 100 episodes yeah so it's fun i appreciate yeah but everybody so 100 episodes about from the cube and i don't know if guy kind of knows the idea of it but this idea that we're always living eight to ten hours a day in a cubicle and we're not engaged we're not connected we're not collaborating we're not uh you know, we're not having a 1% mindset to get better every day and contribute. And we're just clocking in, clocking out, sitting in a cubicle, either writing code, selling car, whatever it is. Right. Um, and I, and I do that. That's, I'm not saying that about other people and pointing the finger. I do that. I'm a software guy that writes code on occasion. And I sit in a cubicle many days, but there's more to life than that. There's more engagement. There's more uh, collaboration. And there's, there's something about being connected with people and having great conversations like we have today. So get out of your cubicle, everybody, and, uh, and enjoy, the, enjoy, enjoy this episode and reach out to Guy. Uh, and I, I know he'd appreciate that. Thanks again, Guy. Thank you. 